WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. The United States of America is the most powerful nation on Earth. In itself, this goes a long way to explaining the things it does around the world. At present, it's conducting a war on terror, or more accurately, a campaign against opposition to US domination. Others prefer to call it the beginnings of the Third World War. The United States has an insatiable appetite for conflict. And since going into Korea in the 1950s, it's been at war with someone or other in some corner of the globe, non-stop, right up to the present day. This drive is now led by the weapons manufacturers themselves. It's a highly dangerous precedent. I call it war corporatism. It is the door of a new fascism being pushed open. And don't be fooled, not all fascism looks like Adolf Hitler. The reality, as we see from the Iraqi invasion, is that the presidency has been captured by the most powerful elements of this corporatism. And this ghastly molecule aims to turn the world into its very own enslaved global market. And the plan is well underway. The attack by Al-Qaeda on the World Trade Center is just one response to it. Is this a conspiracy? Quite the opposite. It is a high-profile project known as the Project of the New American Century. People like Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Richard Pearl are the major players among politicians, right-wing thinkers, militarists and industrialists in the creation of the project. The project is a neoconservative manifesto which includes in its toolbox the unbridled use of war in clearing a path for US interests. The will to attack Iraq came entirely from this visible yet sinister group. September the 11th was merely the pretext. Bush is merely the figurehead. And so, who's next, you wonder? Iran? North Korea? France? Britain? None of us really matter to them. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Out There Radio. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. Welcome to the show. Yeah, We've I, got a really great one tonight, I actually. I think so. I think so. We have a lot of uh, audio yeah. material sort of swirling around, ready ready for you guys to listen to, and hopefully a lot of stuff that you haven't heard before. Yeah. And You just heard a first taste of one of the first of the first clip tonight, actually. What obviously. was that? Yeah. yeah, that was a clip taken from a YouTube film called War Corporatism, The New Fascism. And it's by a production group called Knife Party. So, uh, yeah, interesting <laughs> name. And uh, really, the video, there's there's a video that goes along with what yeah, you just heard. Yeah. If you watch that on YouTube, it sort of brings it home even more. But we figured it'd be a great way to lead off the show because tonight we've got a number of different topics for you. But they all seem to come back around to the idea of 
um, an overthrow of legitimate power in the United States. Yeah, whether by corporate wh- interests, whether overt and explicit or sort of otherwise. under the table, yeah. and yeah. whether very provable or sort of questionable. We'll get a lot of different uh, takes on this sort of stuff tonight. Should we go through what we're going to talk about or just leave it like as a surprise? We'll just leave it as a surprise. Okay. I'll say this much. We're going to take sort of three different snapshots at uh, the past 100 years of American history and sort of show you some common denominators. And we're going to come back around to some stories that we've talked about in previous episodes and the infamous E. Howard hunt. Yes, because of course, if you've been paying attention, there's some recent news about that whole affair that we'll get into tonight. Right, but don't go Googling it yet. Yeah, not oh, no. yet. Oh, no. no. Before we get into that, we have some announcements. I know it's been a while since we've done announcements at the front of the show, but we have some pretty important stuff that we want to talk to you guys about or tell you guys about. Mm-hmm. And we figure we'll throw it in at the front end tonight so you can go ahead and get your wheels spinning on it. First of all, we... Well, should I talk about the clips first? Talk about whatever you want. We're we're planning to do a clips show, sort of. But what we want, we are requesting you. Like a best of show. Yeah. But we're requesting you, the listener, to help us provide content for this. Raymond and I have have talked for the last, you know, year and a half since we've been doing this show about, oh, well, you know, how do we get a best of clips show together? Because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I've enjoyed saying or listening to or whatever. Right, uh, but, on our, show. but our points of view aren't exactly objective. I wouldn't know thing. where to start with a choosing yeah, I, clips for a clip show. Right, I think everything I say is wonderful and beautiful. <laughs> I, don't, I can't really choose between everything. So I have some exceptions to that, but I won't say. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, you don't want to say what you want to say right now? <laughs> no, no. So, But we are asking you, the listener, to help provide us some content for a clip show. So what we're looking for are remixed clips from our show. It can be anything. Remix it however you want and send us a link or send us an MP3, whatever. You can throw music behind it if you want to, but just keep in mind, if you are going to put music behind it, if it's licensed music, like music you would hear on a commercial radio station, for example, like your favorite Led Zeppelin song or whatever, um, we're not going to be able to put that on our podcast. So, But there are plenty of sources of music out there on the internet that are free for anyone to use for non-commercial purposes. And since we don't ask you to pay for our show, it's non-commercial. Or perhaps maybe you make music. And I know some of our listeners have have actually asked us if they can use clips from our show in the music that they're making. So if you have clips like that, we'd love to play them on our show. So send them to us. I mean, that's heck that's part of what we're going to be doing tonight is playing clips from other (laughs) people's stuff. But, um, but the commentary hopefully that we'll provide, will kind of tie it together for you. So, but that isn't, I mean, that's just the first of many announcements. Joe, why are we doing, why do we need a clip show? Why do we need a best of, the Out There series, because, yes, it's true, Out There, at some point very soon, within the next, say, three months, I guess, is coming to an end. Yes, we will go to the 50th episode. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say it. The 50th episode, and then that's it for Out There. But right. wait, I mean, don't don't shed that tear just don't yet. Don't freak out. Right. Don't jump out the window <laughs> or... You know, dive off into a ditch if you're jogging along with your iPod. It's it's not the end of the world. No, it's just the end of the show, as as it is now. So one of the things we'd also like to request from our listeners is, what should we do next? Yeah, I mean, we uh, we don't want to leave necessarily the themes right. that we have talked about behind. I sure. Mean, I think we've... I think our worldview is sort of obvious to you guys by now. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to leave that behind, certainly. We're not... But, but we need... 
something new, some new way to get our message across to people. Yeah. And uh, and we and because we don't want it to feel like out there radio has gone on for too long. Right. You know, we want we want someone to be able to sit down and listen to the whole series. Yeah. In a row if they want to. And if you look at a show like oh I don't know Coast to Coast AM for right. example. You're yawn, never going to listen to all of those. It's yawn. like four hours of just blah, blah, blah. It's right. not a complete thing. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Those guys, like, struggle to fill their time. We kind of struggle to condense our information to fill the time that we have. Exactly. You so, know? you know, we're going to release that final episode sometime this summer. Yep. And yep. then we're on to something else. So, like Joe said, outthereradio at gmail.com is our email address. Send us some suggestions. What, what you would like to see us do next. Mm-hmm. And... If you want to know how photogenic we are, <laughs> you can check out some of the bonus materials we've put up on uh, the not, forum I don't think section. I'm in any of the bonus materials, am I? Uh, you, actually, you're not. No. You elusive son of a gun. Yeah, it's funny because there was um, the, the march recently. Well, yeah, let's tell them what, tell us what the bonus materials okay, are. Okay, so one, one of the bonus materials is, um, well, Lee Hamilton was in town. Um, who was the uh, vice chairman of the 9-11 right. uh, Commission. We talked about this yeah, a couple yeah. of episodes. Ago. That video is on Video Google now. You yes. can go look at it. Um, what's a good search term to find that? Well, just go to the forums on the Out There Radio webpage. Bingo. Click on the bonus material section. You'll find that. You'll find, if you listen to episode 37, What is Truth, where we did a sort of closer look at the 9-11 truth movement, there's some material that I recorded when I was in Washington that's been released, a whole one-hour Sunday sermon with Webster Tarpley, which Mm -hmm. you'll you'll probably enjoy if you're into the whole 9-11 truth message. Also, there's a video of a peace march that we recently organized on campus and uh, turned out pretty well. It did so. turn out well. The, the, that video is great, too. And you'll see there's Raymond is very conspicuous and ubiquitous in yeah. this film. Yeah. But partly because Raymond or, helped organize them. Yeah, much. I agree. I, I, I did, but I still felt like I mean, I didn't put the video together. It's but not I, like you called them up and said, Come film me, man. You know, you it's know not, I know, but I, it still felt. I feel like a showboat. But sometimes. no, well, I mean, I mean, look, there were 150 people who came out, and Raymond happened to be right in front, fists in the air, yeah, leading, leading with the group. awesome shoes, with awesome <laughs> shoes, and well dressed. <laughs> and in fact, also in the so some more of Raymond in the in the video Google the 9/11. Uh, we keep, we call it sort of the Truth Squad video, although there's no like whistle blowing, standing up and ranting kind of thing. But let's, I think it's a good video. I filmed it, actually. I'm sort of behind the camera. But Raymond's a first question asker um, on that video. and but So I tend to be elusive. Um, there are pictures from the march where I'm kind of like, if you look really close, you can see me uh, kind, kind of... of- Kicking the background, yeah, very yeah. Cheney esque in the bushes, you know, <laughs> the, dark the dark side. side. Right. <laughs> We're gonna have to go on the dark side. Yeah, yeah. So, so speaking of the dark side, you want to talk about uh, the the reports of helicopters flying overhead at so the demonstration? <laughs> I I don't know if they came, you know, before I arrived or after I left. I didn't see any helicopters. You missed it, man. But I heard so there were stories oh, about like how wild rumors. Yeah, about that there were people like. Hanging out of the helicopter with like you know pointing guns at the crowd. Nah, nah. This, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I but there were there were helicopters that flew very low. They were white helicopters overhead. too, right? I don't know. Maybe See, they were NATO forces. Austin said know. they were white helicopters. I, I don't know what they were. Point is, is and I'm not going to say that there was anything sinister or <laughs> right. surveillance-ish about it. But there were a bunch of people in the crowd that did it immediately. Were like. 
Oh my God! It's Big Brother. <laughs> well, and evidently it, it, they it, circled it, the the air, the protest area. They did very low. Yeah, very low. Yeah, I think I'd already gone off for the day. Yeah, I was walking away. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but kind of odd. Yeah, the, I don't know if you remember, but like a couple of no, maybe like ten or fifteen episodes ago, there was a helicopter that flew by in the middle of the episode. <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna do that clips show, audience member, <laughs> get the clip of the helicopter going by in the middle of the show as we're talking about whatever conspiracy theory. Because I cannot, for the life of me, remember exactly when that happened. Right, right. So, um, anyway, enough with that black helicopter stuff. What else we got announcement-wise? Uh, well, well, let me wrap this up by saying that, uh, yeah. that whole peace protest, which you can watch the video of online, yeah. was was fun. I haven't worked so hard on any one thing. That's actually part of why we haven't had haven't recorded a show in several weeks. Right. Well, and because Joe's been like heavily recruited. He's <laughs> his services have been uh highly uh highly cherished amongst corporations throughout the United States. You big sellout. Hey, man. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm not I have what a, you, have, you right. can't call me a sellout. There's no justifiable reason to call me a sellout. Well, other than I'm just trying to be facetious. See, yeah, thank you. Joe is not a sellout. However, he has been gallivanting around the country uh, (laughs) in, like, academic style lately. And I got to take my hat off to you, man. You've worked really hard over the past couple of years. And most of you guys don't know, but Joe's doing a lot more than just um, this show each week. And uh, he's, he's pretty hardcore. So, oh, that's right. I don't, I don't f around. So you know, you, 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 can toot my horn on the peace protest, and I'll toot you your horn on all that. I'm proud so. of this little guy. I'm proud oh, of him. I'm a little guy. <laughs> little guy. Huh? Well, we'll see about that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very proud of you, Ryan. I told you this at the day of the march. It's still true, and especially after seeing that the video that's on YouTube. And also on the forums, all that extra yes, stuff exactly. is on the so post on the forums. Do we have any other announcements before rap party? Oh, yeah, we're going to have an out-there radio rap party downtown Athens somewhere. We have not set a date for it yet. It will be during the summer. But go ahead and get ready. And, yeah, uh, if plan you, a trip if to you, Athens. Yeah, if you want to come down to Athens, uh, you're welcome to, man. I can't. You can stay on Raymond's couch. That's not true. <laughs> that is not true, Joe. You cannot stay on my couch as cool and hot as you probably are. You cannot stay on my couch. But... We could maybe find some very affordable accommodation for people in Athens. What if so. a, a group of conspiracy-loving females wants to stay on your couch, Raymond? Ah. Uh, <laughs> okay, we, you don't have to answer that. Uh, th- okay, Let's move. Joe, <laughs> Joe, we're not a rock band. Okay, we're not a rock band. <laughs> Just because you're not a rock band doesn't mean you can't have groupies. <laughs> conspiracy groupies? Gr- jo- Joe, conspira- what do you think? <laughs> uh, this is this is all downhill. This is falling apart. But Let's move on. No, 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 okay, no, okay, no. Okay, okay. Go what ahead. do you think? Going through the emails that we've gotten from fans, what do you think the percent is of men <laughs> to women in those emails? Just tell me. Like a ratio of men to women, I would say like maybe thirty to one. Thirty men for every one woman. Right now, I'm not dissing <laughs> our 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 male fans. About their radio, yeah. I, I love them one and all. Not in the same way you're talking about here with this groupy thing. Not necessarily, but, sure. But <laughs> are you implying something? I didn't. What oh, are you talking about? Never mind. Never mind. I would say though. That, okay, check this out. Female out there radio listeners, hottest girls around. It's true. Yeah. Okay. It's true. Okay. And b- probably, probably nerdiest as well. But gotta love it. 
Gotta love it. Okay. So anyway, let's <laughs> let's move on into what we're actually. Wait, was that all we didn't wanted to say about the rap party? We'll we'll announce like dates. We'll announce and stuff. the date yeah. and the place. It'll be in downtown Athens. Yeah. come we'll put, check it out. We'll put it on the website. So, sort of nearby. Right. right, we'll put it on the website. So keep checking that. So let's get into this. Uh, our three little snapshots of American corporatism and fascism that yeah. we were talking about earlier. We're going to start off tonight with uh, the E. Howard Hunt story. Yes, yes. this was really cool. I, f- I found this article on Rolling Stone, actually, um, about uh, E. Howard Hunt's son. Now, I don't know if we need to, how much background I need to give on Hunt again. We've done several shows on the man already. Yeah, you can go back and listen to Good Riddance, E. Howard Hunt. Yeah, yeah. He, he died back in January. We did a Good Riddance show where we covered like everything that he was involved in from Guatemala to Watergate, everything that we that we know of, and um, so w- there was a lot of I think background and biography on that episode. So you can find go back and listen to that and find out about you know who this guy is. Um, and we, like I said, we did a good riddance show. So it was interesting to find a, a few weeks ago that Rolling Stone had done an uh, an article, an interview with E. Howard Hunt's son. Saint- it's called The Last Confession of E. Howard Hunt. Right. So evidently, on his as, as Hunt was dying on his deathbed over the past few years... Be a little more redundant. As he, were, as he was living on his deathbed over the last few years, he, um, <laughs> he, he basically laid out a whole bunch of conspiracy stuff to his son, who has, I believe his name is St. Saint, Saint John, uh, St. John Hunt, I guess, mm-hmm. including the whole Kennedy story. He laid it out with diagrams and everything. Who killed JFK? Right. Who is behind the whole JFK plot? Hunt, for years, had claimed that he had no idea who did it. He had no involvement. No one he knew had any involvement. The government wasn't involved. The CIA wasn't involved. He didn't know. Um, this is after, and I think I think we talked about this on the Kennedy's on the assassination extravaganza. Way back in the early early uh, part of the series, tramps and hobos. Yeah, so Hunt. Um, if you look at the picture of the tramps, the three tramps that were picked up, Hunt uh, has a very strong res- resemblance to one of them. And there's this um, quote actually from Hunt's son. All right, here's what he says. Around 1975, I was in a phone booth in Maryland somewhere when I saw a poster on the telephone pole about who killed JFK. And it had a picture of these three tramps. I saw that picture and I, <clears throat> effing, like a cartoon character, my jaw dropped. My eyes popped out of my head and smoke came out of my ears. <laughs> it looks like my dad. There's nobody that has all those same facial features. People say it's not him. He's said it's not him. But I'm his son and I've got a gut feeling. Right. So this is this is how his son sort of... Uh, real, I guess realized that his father was somehow connected to the Kennedy assassination conspiracy back in the 70s. And when his father started getting older and older, and he was actually sort of an estranged son, he came back and, like, his father started telling him, uh, you know, he, he would go visit his dad, and his dad would start telling him the kinds of things that he was involved in. Right, and he was very, and the article says that he was very sort of easy about it at first, but then finally... After months of staying with his father, who he had been estranged from, he finally asked him about the Kennedy thing, and he was—he wrote down exactly. Well, 
maybe not exactly who did it, but who he says did it. And uh, yeah, he he blames it on. Uh, well, let's let's just play the clip. Yeah, there's actually a clip because also not only was he you know drawing diagrams for his son, but there's audio of this. I guess he had been making recordings. I think this recording is from 2004. This was recently aired on Coast to Coast or something. Right. But uh, I, I guess on uh, St. John Hunt's website, he's going to release the whole audio soon. It's not released yet. So, so here's sort of a sneak preach. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this. This is amazing. I heard from Frank that uh, LBJ had uh, designated uh, Cord Meyer Jr., to uh, undertake a larger organization while keeping it totally secret. Cordmeyer himself was a uh, rather favored uh, member of the uh, Eastern aristocracy. He uh, was a graduate of Yale University and uh, had uh, joined the Marine Corps during the war and lost an eye in the Pacific fighting. I think that uh, LBJ settled on uh, Meyer as a uh, as an opportunist, Perrin like himself, uh, Perrin, and a man who had very little left to him in life ever since JFK had uh, had taken Cord's wife as one of his uh, mistresses. I would uh, suggest that. Uh, Cord Meyer welcomed the approach from LBJ, who was, after all, only the vice president at that time. And, of course, could not uh, number Cord Meyer among uh, JFK's admirers. Quite the contrary. As for Dave Phillips, I knew him uh, pretty well at one time. Uh, he worked for me uh, during the... Uh, the Guatemala Project. He had made himself useful to the agency uh, in Santiago, Chile, where he was uh, an American businessman. In any case, his uh, actions, whatever they were, came to the attention of the Santiago station chief. And uh, when his uh, resume became uh, uh, known to uh, people in the Western Hemisphere Division, he was uh, brought in uh, to uh, work on uh, Guatemalan operations. Spurge and Morales and uh, people of that uh, ilk stayed in uh, apartment houses uh, during the preparations for uh, the big event. Uh, their addresses were very uh, subject to change so that... Uh, where a fellow like uh, Morales had been one day, you not necessarily associated with that same address the following day. In short, it was a very mobile uh, uh, experience. Let me point out at this point that if I had wanted to uh, fictionalize uh, what went on in Miami and elsewhere during the run-up for the big event, I would have done so. But uh, I don't want any uh, unreality to tinge this particular uh, story or the information, I should say. I was a bench warmer on it, and uh, 
I had a reputation for honesty. I think it's essential to refocus on what this information that I've been providing you, uh, and you alone, by the way, consists of what is important in the story is that we've backtracked the chain of command up uh, through uh, up through Cordmire and laying the uh, the uh, doings at the doorstep of LBJ. He, in my opinion, had a an almost maniacal urge to become president. He regarded uh, JFK as a as he was, in fact, an obstacle to achieving that. Uh, he could have waited for JFK to finish out his term and then undoubtedly a second term. So that would have put the LBJ at the head of a long list of people who were waiting for some change in the executive branch. <laughs> I heard from Frank. I heard from Cord Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're back here on Out There Radio. So that was an amazing clip. Basically, what, what a mean old codger. <laughs> what Hunt is saying is that LBJ wanted JFK out. So he approaches he, Cord Meyer, who evidently had been. Um, uh, oh, wait, wait. There's a word for this. A cuckold? Uh, or, uh, uh, a cuckold? Yeah. That's not a word. Are you, that's a, that's a um, word. Nah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> anyway, his wife had been was being being banged <laughs> by JFK. <laughs> Let's try this one more time. It's, you say it, right? So okay. yeah, so Cord Myers. <laughs> Wife apparently had been messing around with JFK. You can't say being banged. <laughs> well, you just said it, my friend. So yes, right. There was shenanigans going on there, and so apparently, according to Hunt, LBJ went to to Cordmire and said, "We got to hook this assassination thing up." Yeah, and and you get your revenge at the same time. Right, right. So, so. Cordmire jumps at the chance, yeah, of course. And remember, of course, I mean Cordmire, he was in Miami. Station chief, I believe. Right, so he's hooked up with all the anti-Castro Cubans and who hate course, Kennedy right. anyway. And so does he because Kennedy botched his Bay of Pigs. And so of course, on if and it so weren't forth, for Kennedy, right. he would have gotten nuked. Right. And he right. wouldn't have even lived that long. So, right. you know, whatever. Right. So, do, so that's you, do you believe this, Joe? Well, let's talk about what there is to believe. Because on the one hand, as a story, regardless of who it's coming from, it's believable, I think. I mean, I think a Do lot you of think people... this tape is fake? Okay, that's a different question. Is the tape fake? I don't know. If this is something that is released by E. Howard Hunt's son, this is something his son brought to Coast to Coast actually recently on a you know on a radio interview. So, on the one hand, you know, why would this guy fake a tape of his father's voice? In other words, if we're saying the tape is fake, then that's not E. Howard Hunt. Right, and I don't understand yeah. how he could get away with faking a tape of his own father's voice. Right, right. Like, Wouldn't other people in the family? Yeah, of course. There'd be a lot of people who would say, oh, no, that's not Hunt. You know, that's someone but else. But no one's come out and said this. And, and, and the text or the, the audio you heard a moment ago matches very closely the text of the Rolling Stone article. Right, right, right. So I think that, you know, in terms of if it's, if it's fake, it's a pretty good fake. 
and you know it's a, a good hoax we'll say um but i don't think it's a fake i don't think it's a fake either because the story is believable yeah and I, that's what i was saying like regardless of you know who's telling this story it sounds plausible to me and that but that's another problem with it too is is hunt could just be you know blowing smoke up our you know right so that's another sort of level of the story if you know if it is hunt it's a re if the tape is real is the story fake I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. I, I mean, I'll tell you this, that since I was a kid, uh, my own mother has mm -hmm. told me it was LBJ mm -hmm. who had JFK killed. And how does she know? This is this is just what she has said to me a bunch of times. I don't even know if it's true. I think it's true, though, is that LBJ had his family Bible mm. with him, and he was sworn in on his family Bible when he was on Air Force One coming back from Dallas. Kind of odd that your special family heirloom would happen to be with you. Right. At that moment, right. So, almost like yeah. he knew he was going to be sworn in. I don't right. Know. What, what right. is that? <laughs> Have you ever heard um, some of the, there's? And he tried to get John Conley to ride in the car with him. Really? LBJ did. He tried to get John Conley not to ride in the car with Kennedy. He tried to get him to ride with him back well, in the back of the interesting so motorcade. He, he probably he. I'm sure he knew John Conley being from Texas. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So, John Conley, old friend, probably. Interesting, interesting. Have you ever heard any of the... There, there are LBJ tapes. Um, he used to record his phone calls. Um, he cusses like a sailor Yeah, he also is really creepy towards Jackie Kennedy after JFK was killed. Oh, you've heard tapes of this? Yeah, there's oh, tapes I, of I him gotta check like... This. Man, I wish I had known. We would have ran it. Yeah, it's just kind of strange the way he consoles is Jackie. Is he kind of hitting on her? It seems like, I don't know. We're trying to sort of play a fatherly kind of role. Like, oh, I, I had your husband killed. Now, like... You know, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird. Well, I don't. He doesn't say that. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jackie, just thinking of John. Right. So, right. You know, I heard a weird story about LBJ one time, and it's another one I can't substantiate with any source, but that he like used intense, high water pressure in the shower. I've heard that too, and really hot, right? Like really hot water, and like really just yeah, abrasively. Strong was water that pressure? before or after 1963? I was about to say, is he trying yeah. to wash the blood off his hands, <laughs> right. Beth style? Right. Yeah, it won't wash off, LBJ. That's, That's there right. forever. Well, he's dead now. <laughs> That's right. So, <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, what, good what's, riddance to him too. Good riddance to LBJ. <laughs> what's the, what's your, what's your take on all of this, Raymond? I mean, it's hard to say. I have no problem believing that the CIA. My, the Miami CIA right. station, as Howard Hunt would say, would be involved in John F. Kennedy's murder. That's how my grandma says Miami, by the way. And she's from Florida. I mean, right? yeah, born and raised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miami. Miami. Yeah. Anyway, so we're actually already behind somehow on this show. Like, we've got so much we have to cover. That's, that's your first vin vignette of the evening. I think so. we're right on time. Well, we got, yeah, okay. We're right so on time, yeah. Let's, um, it's let's, time for a break. Time for a break. We're going to go for a break. We're going to come back in and play some clips for you guys. Yeah, yeah. And Should then, we set them up at all? Yeah, let's set this up. Let's Our, talk a little bit. The, this first clip you're going to hear after break or over break is um, also so, from YouTube. Yeah, it's going to be sort of an overview of the next story we're going to be talking yeah. about. And that's going to be the story of the nineteen, the early 1930s in the U.S., the business plot, yeah. the um, fascist plot to overthrow FDR. This clip comes from a great 2003 film called The Corporation, and Raymond had as asking me before the show, it's like, oh, you know, is it is the was that movie too popular to play? And I had commented that it's actually, um, I think, not watched enough. 
not enough people watch this right. documentary. And so this will be this will have audio from our the main character of our villa vignette, General Smedley Butler, the fighting Quaker. Mm-hmm. What was his other name? Old Gimlet Eye. Old Gimlet Eye. <laughs> and also, did you see this one? Old Duckboard. <laughs> I don't even I don't even want to know what that means. He was one of the most famous members of the U.S. Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Became a major general, two congressional medals of honor. Also a supporter mm. of uh, Roosevelt. Uh, uh, well, at first, but then later yeah. on he hated Roosevelt. But anyway, he was approached to become fascist dictator of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you'll see what happened when we come back here on Out There Radio. Stay tuned. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. thing, avoid the comfortable idea that the mere form of government can of itself safeguard a nation against despotism. For big business, despotism was often a useful tool for securing foreign markets and pursuing profits. One of the U.S. Marine Corps' most highly decorated generals, Smedley Darlington Butler, by his own account, helped pacify Mexico for American oil companies. Haiti and Cuba for National City Bank, Nicaragua for the Brown Brothers Brokerage, the Dominican Republic for sugar interests, Honduras for U.S. fruit companies, and China for Standard Oil. General Butler's services were also in demand in the United States itself in the 1930s, as President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sought to relieve the misery of the Depression through public enterprise and tougher regulations on corporate exploitation and misdeeds. More power to you, President Roosevelt. The entire country's behind you, thrilled with hope and patriotism. But the country was not entirely behind the populist president. Large parts of the corporate elite despised what Roosevelt's New Deal stood for. And so, in 1934, a group of conspirators sought to involve General Butler in a treasonous plan. Plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans to use as a bluff or as a club at least to intimidate the government. But the corporate cabal had picked the wrong man. Butler was fed up with being what he called a gangster for capitalism. I appeared before the congressional committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. A congressional committee ultimately found evidence of a plot to overthrow Roosevelt. According to Butler, the conspiracy included representatives of some of America's top corporations, including J.P. Morgan, DuPont, and Goodyear Tire. As today's chairman of Goodyear Tire knows, for corporations to dominate government, a coup is no longer necessary. Corporations have gone global. And by going global, the uh, governments have lost some control over corporations, regardless of whether the corporation can be trusted or cannot be trusted, governments today do not have over the corporations the power that they had and the leverage that they had 50 or 60 years ago. And that's a major change. So governments have become powerless. 
compared to where they were before. Capitalism today commands the towering heights and has displaced politics and politicians as the new high priests and reigning oligarchs of our system. So capitalism and its principal protagonists and players, corporate CEOs, have been accorded unusual power and access. This is not to deny the significance of government and politicians, but these are the new high priests. So we're back here on Out There Radio. You just heard a clip from the documentary film The Corporation, sort of short synopsis of what we're going to be talking about for the next 10 or 15 minutes or so, which is the business plot. And yet another example of how people can conspire to overthrow a president. In this case, it's not the... uh, the CIA spooks who are doing it, it's, right. the, uh, it's the corporations themselves. They don't have the intelligence services to speak for them yet. It's right. 1933. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, Raymond, that I had never heard of this until I started doing this show and you told me about the business plot. I never, I'd never knew this chapter of American history. Well, in a lot of ways, this is sort of the first chapter in a um, a whole narrative that we've dealt with here on yeah. this show about the rise of American fascism, yeah. and um, when we see these same players, you know. And let me let me read this quote from Butler. You got a little bit of what he was about in that audio clip. This is for me. This really sums it up. <clears throat> this is General Smedley Butler. All right. Um, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and for the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Mexico and especially Tampico safe from safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the national city bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the international banking house of Brown Brothers in 1902 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China, in 1927, I helped to see that it was standard oil who went on their way unmolested. So this is a person who rose through the ranks of the Marine Corps, almost became the commandant of the Marine Corps, and he mm. saw the monster. Yeah. I mean, what he described there, you know, in episode after episode that happened in the early 20th century, sounds so much like what we talked about with the coup in Guatemala, you know, Pinochet in Chile, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Contras in Nicaragua now. I mean, think about the the connections between yeah. then and now. You know, he talks about how he put down Nicaragua for the Brown Brothers. Well, who worked for Brown Brothers Harriman? George Bush. And right. then 50 years later, there's George Bush helping to stomp down Nicaragua mm-hmm. for American corporate interests. It's yeah. like nothing ever changes, you know. Yeah. Well, so what happened with this guy, like it said in the... Like it said in the clip, he was approached by a representative of a group of corporate interests. Mm-hmm. Okay, the man who approached him. Let's see what was his name. The man who visited him was named McGuire, and he said he represented 
different interests, different corporate interests, yeah. including the Singer Sewing Machine Company and then a whole bunch of other folks. DuPont. DuPont. He has all these conversations with Butler, and Butler smells a rat immediately. Yeah. And he's he, he remembers the oath he took to, his, to the Constitution when he went into the service. Mm-hmm. And so he tr- starts to try to like sort of ferret out who is behind this plot. You know, he's got this, he's met this McGuire guy, but he's sort of like the front man for the whole operation. And they're approaching him saying, hey, we want you to lead a veterans army, overthrow FDR, put us back on the gold standard, yeah. la, 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 la. Smedley Butler was highly respected by many of the veterans for various reasons. I mean, he was already a well-respected, um, uh, you know, Marine major general. Major general, general. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, he also helped in 1932 some World War One veterans. Um, converged on D.C. to set up tent camps to get the yeah. bonuses that they were promised. Yeah. He spoke at their at the, the they were called the Bonus Army. Mm-hmm. He spoke at their tent camp, and so he won the respect. I mean, not that he didn't already have it, but just the fact that he showed up and supported the the Bonus Army, who want you know these veterans who wanted their bonus that they had been promised. He had the respect of all of the veterans, and that's sort of I think how these these business coup people were trying to frame it was they were going to get veterans involved. Well, they had seen the success of the SA in Germany mm-hmm. who were mostly disgruntled World War One veterans who helped bring Hitler to power and he had seen how it had worked in Italy as well with the black shirts, mm-hmm. right, and Mussolini. Mm-hmm. So, and he in fact went to Europe. If you, I mean, there are documentaries about this business plot. You can watch them on video, Google, whatever, and it talks about this guy going, McGuire, going to Europe writing letters back to his friends about how he was observing these veterans organizations in Europe. So he was going to sort of try to repeat that model yeah. in the U.S. And apparently all these powerful interests were behind him. So yeah. um, I'm reading this book that I haven't gotten too much into. I showed this to you earlier. It's called uh, It Can't Happen Here by a guy named Sinclair Lewis. And it's it was written around the time this business uh, plot was, was either had already you know, fizzled out or had just started happening or something. It's early 30s, but it's a satire on the coming of fascism to the United States. And part of it was a, you know, nationalist fervor, but also part of it in the book, I believe, is, um, you know, the the takeover, the military, or sorry, sorry, the corporate takeover through the military of the United States. Right, and it's, I guess it's a good thing and it didn't happen. It's, it's funny, um, FDR didn't pursue... Like he didn't try to hunt down the people involved with it. He was sort of quiet about Let's it. Let's talk really. about this because it's very interesting how the the whole idea of the business plot, although the con- uh, the congressional committee found that there was evidence that Butler was telling the truth and there was corroborating evidence on this, they, there was never any investiga- investigation or prosecution on it. And, oddly enough, the newspapers, which you would think they would have a heyday with something like this, not really much of a peep at all. It was considered by some in like in the New York, you know, upper class as sort of a cocktail push, like that it was just something that people were had talked about around, you know, cocktail parties. Right, and you know, there was I think in one of the documentaries I watched, it talked about how there was this feeling amongst the upper class in the United States that like you were talking about cocktail putsch or mm-hmm. fight between friends or yeah. something like that. I mean, that should tell you right there just how out of touch the upper class in this country is and the Eastern establishment is with the real people who actually live here and die here and work their days out. Yeah, yeah. You know. 
It what else can we say about Butler? I mean, well, I, I suppose I, we should dedicate the show to him. Yeah, tonight. he's a, a, I mean, you know American with a conscience who had done a lot of things apparently that he considered unconscionable. Unconscionable. Right. You know, he didn't even have to go yeah. to Congress with this. They came to him. Right. Like rumors started spreading in Washington yeah. that there was this this plot going on, and they find this. They started tracking it through these veterans organizations that mm-hmm. led them straight to Butler. And as soon as Congress came to him, he's like, "Sure, I'll tell you everything." Yeah, I wonder, you know, what would have happened if they had chosen someone who hadn't done so much uh, damage based on the interests of, of big business in his past. Like maybe someone who would have been more power hungry than Butler. Well, you know, you can find that person easily in that in the landscape of the time in the <clears throat> form of uh, U.S. Army Chief of Staff Douglas MacArthur. Mm-hmm. You know, he. Uh, he, unlike Butler, was very unpopular with veterans of World War One. We talked about that bonus army before that descended on Washington. See, what had happened was, is after World War One, all of the veterans demanded a, a pension. Well, the U.S. government finally granted them a pension, but they said you have to wait 20 years to collect on it. Thus, the pension, obviously. Well, they well when the Depression hit, they wanted their pensions right now, and that's why the bonus army came. Smedley goes to speak in solidarity of them. They love him. Three days later, um, MacArthur rolls through there with mounted troops and pushes them all out of their camps. Three or four people get killed. Many are injured. I mean, you've seen this sort of thing before, but you just don't think about it happening in the 30s. Well, it happened in the 30s. So they hated MacArthur. If they hadn't, he would have been the perfect candidate, though. Because you look at his M.O., especially after the Second World War. You know, he had a lot of successes in World War II, but he was, at, most people forget that in the beginning of Korea, he was in command of the Navy or the Army or whatever. And uh, Truman took him out because he was sort of trying to usurp Truman's power mm. in a lot of ways. He had and thought he, about running for president. And right, and he had like, also yeah. thought about it like attacking China. <laughs> was talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the man was sort of megalomaniacal, it seems like to me. So It's interesting that this... These Wall Street guys didn't approach MacArthur, or maybe well, they like did. Well, like I we said, they, no, they didn't. Like I said, they didn't approach MacArthur because the veterans hated him. Yeah. If, the, if he had been popular with the veterans, that would have been horrible. Yeah. There's so. evidently some. There's some partial corroboration of Butler's story because a lot of people still don't believe. Well, there was he. Him. He called in a news reporter. Yeah. Like yeah. a newspaper man to like go undercover with him and so he goes and meets mcguire and is like hey this news he didn't say he's a news reporter this dude's my my friend he's in on this thing with me Mm -hmm. whatever and butler said that he was more candid with the news reporter who he didn't know from adam you know Mm -hmm. than he had been with butler about his sort of fascist leanings right so and who who's sitting at the middle of it goodyear dupont Mm-hmm. Companies that are still in business of to this course, day. Of you know? course. Brown yeah. Brothers, right? Brown Brothers, who gave birth to Bush, who gave birth mm-hmm. to the CIA, who mm-hmm. are all from Yale. Yeah. I mean, there's a real common... I mean, and that Yale thing, that's a real common denominator. i got to yeah. point that out yeah. right now. Like, that just keeps coming up. It's so. interesting. There's this, uh, this other guy, James E. Van Zant, who was a VFW commander. He says that less than two months after Butler warned him, he was approached by agents of Wall Street to lead a fascist dictatorship in the United States under the guise of veterans' organizations. So he was approached by same or similar group of people to do the same thing. So they were really looking for some head head figure, you know, yeah. some figurehead. And the Liberty League was this sort of conservative 
organization of really rich people that came together to fight the New Deal at that point in time, and I think that they were the ones hmm. behind the whole thing, and it talks about that in some of the documentaries. You can find out a lot about that. It's hard to find out anything about the Liberty League now because I think they destroyed most of their records, and <laughs> so it's hard to tell who exactly was a member. But. Right, right. So... This I know this is a story that you listeners are probably wishing we spent more time on tonight, but we wanted to just sort of, you know, give you a little piece of yeah. a couple of things. Yeah, so we, you can go research this on your own. Yeah. The plot to overthrow FDR is a is a documentary that was pretty good that I watched yeah. on YouTube or yeah. video Google or something. We want to throw this out here because um <laughs> right here <laughs> uh, because we're gonna we're gonna continue talking about this whole idea of uh you know a military slash fascist military industrial fascist takeover of the united states which was interesting that we opened with the hunt story because i mean many many people consider the assassination of jfk in fact a military coup um and this is within you know actually two 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 and a half years after eisenhower was leaving the presidency. Um, and so are we re- ready to talk about Eisenhower? We're going to take a yeah, short we're gonna break talk, in a little bit. Yeah, but. we're going to take a short break here in a minute. So when we come back and we'll play you a little clip from President Eisenhower's farewell speech. I'm sure you've heard it if you've ever seen the film JFK, but we have some other audio that's coming up that sort of relates to it very well. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening on the radio right now, you're also going to get a special treat of... Uh, brand new Jello Biafra spoken word piece that we're going to win during the break too. It's called Die for Oil Sucker 2007 Mix or something. <laughs> and it's got some other stuff mixed in. Uh, it's from the people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was, it's a mashup that was put together by the people at Pop Defect Radio. If you, if you remember back to the um, CIA drug smuggling episode, provided that awesome audio of Gary Webb and the music and the cocaine mm-hmm. cowboys and all that stuff. So anyway, we'll be back to talk to you a little bit more, I guess in about 15 minutes. And uh, so stay tuned out there radio and enjoy your clips tonight. You're listening to out there with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend 
its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Thank you, Ike. Yes, thank you, thank you. We are back once again on Out There Radio. Uh, my name is Raymond Wiley. I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, Joe McFall. Hello there. Yes, yes. So, we just wrapped up that whole section about the business plot, as it's called, back in the 1930s, the fascist plot to overthrow FDR. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting how some of the corporations that tried to overthrow FDR but never really got punished for ended up going on to become um, key figures, key players in the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower then talks about. Mm -hmm. So... Here we've had audio clips from two of America's greatest military heroes. Yeah, let me yeah. ask you, Raymond. Do you think that by the time Eisenhower made that speech in early 1961 that it was too late? That the military-industrial complex had already gained a too large of a foothold to stop them? Well, I know that Eisenhower said something to the effect of... Um, you know, woe be it unto this country when somebody sits in the presidency who knows less about the military than mm. I do. Yeah. I think that Kennedy, who we talked about earlier, took his warnings about the military-industrial complex to heart, and he fought them, and that was why he was killed. I think you might be right, yeah. So um, I think um, whether LBJ had a personal stake in it, which mm -hmm. is sort of what we were talking about earlier, is one thing, but that's, regardless of that, you know, it suited the military-industrial complex and the intelligence agencies needs when right. they got rid of Kennedy. Right. Kind of strange stuff. So, funny, we hear this talk about Eisenhower's warning a lot. You know, the, the film Why We Fight, for example, featured this very prominently. I think some of the... Um, I think that clip was I was about to say, I fight. think the yeah. piano music sort of gave that one away for me, too. Yeah. Like, it, it sat alone on YouTube, just like some of the other clips that we've looked at tonight. But I think you're right. I think that did yeah. come from why we fight that's another um, great film that you should see by exactly the way. and i you know to be honest i would have run just eisenhower by himself right there but that was just the way that was cut yeah was yeah nice and it's, it's, a, it's, a nice it's a, yeah and it's available on youtube anyway yeah so i don't think uh they're gonna mind our non-profit-ness right so right interesting that eisenhower's warning doesn't really get heeded by your modern politician with as much as this sort of uh, talk of the military-industrial complex is getting kicked around. None of the major candidates, it would seem, even even and especially amongst the Democrats, right. are talking the talk on this. They're not. They're, they they don't want to acknowledge the monster, right? You know? And and I think for as far as I'm concerned, it's because most of them are tied up to this whole myth of a global war on terrorism mm -hmm. that we've got to fight. That's you know, sort of what we started off the show yeah. with, but. 
A ray of hope. <laughs> a 77-year-old ray of hope hath shined down upon us. Right. So, right. Um, Joe. Yeah. Uh, tell us about this guy, man. Uh, Mike Gravel, a uh, former senator from Alaska, uh, served from 1968 to 1981, I believe. Um, he In 1972, he was one of the people who got the Pentagon Papers read into the public record. Um, he also uh, led a filibuster against um, the draft um, and helped stop the Vietnam War in, in his two terms as senator. I think um, from from the quotes I've heard from him, you know, where was he from 1981 until now? The guy's running for president now, right. 77 years old, running, running as a Democrat. Um, and we're going to play a clip in a little while, two clips, one uh, from him uh, speaking in front of some audience about the military, military industrial complex, and another from the recent Democratic debates. But this guy... Um, he's, he's definitely the out there radio. Yeah candidate of choice at this point we can't we can't support candidates necessarily oh, whatever this guy's great <laughs> yeah this guy's, guy's awesome. awesome yeah he's, I mean, he's great he's talking our message he's talking about like watch out for a nuclear sneak attack on iran right you'll oh, you'll hear you it know, you'll hear the debates it. you'll see but uh but for him uh he quit politics in 81 after uh, a defeat by his i guess the person he ran against in 1968 he got defeated in 81 uh, gravel got defeated in 81 by his grandson and quit politics and was sickened by the whole the whole affair, um, not just being defeated, but by the whole by politics itself, um, and his coming back out from from hiding, um, hiding in Alaska for the past twenty six years or so, railing against the war in Iraq. Yeah, and that's calling it a corporate uh, militaristic imperial venture. And this is where we get to how this, what we've been talking about up to this point in the show ties into current events because, um, the war in Iraq is, uh, a corporate war. I mean, in many senses of the word, it's being waged for corporate interests. War for pork. Yeah. And it's also not only that, but I mean, we may have mentioned on this show, there's also another documentary, um, called, uh, Iraq for sale. Same guy who did out Fox. I think it's distributed by Dis- Disinfo. But um, anyway, uh, you know the the there are more private security contractors in Iraq than there are for all of the other coalition troops combined. The second largest right. force in Iraq are, are private. It's a corporate army. Blackwater. Blackwater. Yeah, they're getting paid way more than the soldiers are, yeah. and they're recruiting the soldiers when they when their tours of duty end. Yeah, and. Talk about your Veterans Association of the Future. These guys are going to be far beyond that. Right. They're going to be seasoned mercenaries by the time they get back. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know who's running these squads? I love the term squad. I know you noticed. <laughs> but you know who's running? Like ex, um, like South African officers from apartheid era wow. who, like, you know, got their got their spurs by, you know, beating the hell out of the indigenous population in, yeah. in South Africa. This is practically brand new in American warfare, is this whole corporatizing of the military. Um, I mean, there, there's always been corporati- corporatization of the wars. But, but this is to a much greater yeah. extent, whereas before soldiers would do things like peel potatoes, do their laundry, cook their own food. All of those things are done by outside corporations now, and all the people and for that a lot more money. Yeah, and I suppose all the people that are doing these things are getting paid more than the soldiers. It's yeah. a slap in their faces. This it is a, I mean, not only is the war itself immoral and imperialistic, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be there, 
but at the same time, they're being slapped in the face while they're there because they've got to watch Joe Schmo slopping, you know, gravy on their plate, right. making eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. when. $80,000 was the whole bribe that got them in the military anyway for for six years. You know what I'm saying? We'll give yeah. you $80,000 for college or whatever right. your Montgomery right. bill. Serve with us for five years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, random a-hole out here serving you food mm-hmm. is making $80,000 this year. Right. Tax-free. Right. And this is, this is really Rumsfeld's legacy. This and was, Cheney. And Cheney, yeah. Like these guys, I mean, you know, PNAC, uh, the... Um, uh, project for a new American century. Yeah, project new, for a new American century. Like this is part of their deal. Rumsfeld came in uh, with you know George W. in 2000, and his plan was to divert um, a lot of Pentagon money to private corporations for various reasons, um, whether it's you know construction contracts or actual mercenary security contracts. I was about to say, watch that trickle down to the SA of the future, the black shirt to the future, the black water right yeah yeah so, so. I, I think it's you know it's it's a kind of iraq right now is eisenhower's nightmare sure i what the heck everything that's happened since eisenhower yeah has been has been the nightmare that he talked about yeah. everything that's happened vietnam yeah. you know all of our interventions you know places like nicaragua yeah guatemala everywhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the liberation of Panama. Right. I was in the DMV the other day, Joe. Yeah. Okay. And it had a list of conflicts that you could have fought in to get a free driver's license because veterans get a free driver's license. And I couldn't believe how long the list was. If Did you know, for example, that American troops fought in Russia between 1917 and 1920? No. Yeah, in the Russian Civil War. Huh. Yeah, for the white Russians. Huh. Yeah. And you can get a free driver's license if you fought. In Russia, as wow. an American soldier, you can drive if you're like a hundred and. I don't know. Years old. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying. It yeah, had, you know the liberation of Panama on there, all this other stuff, and it's and it's true. We've been in a constant war. Yeah, constant and, war. And that's how the corporations are holding it, holding their control. That's how the military contractors are holding right. their control. Because you got to ask, you know, who has benefited from this constant state of war? The not, American not people? Us. No, certainly not. not. You certainly know, we've not. had our resources sapped. So, this is what we want to hear a candidate saying. Right. Mike Gravel, 77-year-old ex-senator from Alaska, now running for president. Let's play this first clip before we get to the debate clip. It's the military-industrial complex clip. Enjoy. We should be guided by the words of President Dwight, uh, Dwight Eisenhower warning that an inordinate emphasis on military power breeds a culture of militarism that threatens all vital areas of our society. An inordinate emphasis on military power will guarantee our collapse as a nation and as a democracy. Unfortunately, unfortunately, no president since Dwight Eisenhower has even dared acknowledge the growing force of American militarism, militarism in our culture. Political leaders continually cast our self-proclaimed global leadership in triumphal moral terms in order to affirm a responsibility to bring freedom and liberty to the peoples of the world, but typically only if our interests are involved. 
The U.S. Has the, is the mightiest nation on earth, and it claims the right to police the world, but the cost of this declared right is a bloated defense budget and a defense industry, a war industry, that knows no limits. Our militarized economy is both a direct cost to the American taxpayer and an indirect cost in what is lost in funding for education, health care, and our infrastructure. Consider the triumphalism in America's virgin, version of the end of the Cold War. We boast that uh, America won the Cold War. Of course, we do this with selective memory about the human cost, the collateral damage, the destabilization of governments in the Congo, Iran, Lebanon, Chile, Vietnam, and a number of Central American countries, none of whom threatened this country. To claim that we won the Cold War implies that we knew what was going on in the Soviet Union. Well, at the time, our political leadership was so busy revving up our military expenditures that we failed to realize what was really happening in the Soviet Union, and that was they were actually experiencing a political and social meltdown. Our leaders and our intelligence community was clueless about what was going on. The Cold War was not won by anybody. The Soviet Union experienced the final implosion of a bankrupt economic theory that had been maintained by tyranny for 70 years, inflicting untold pain and suffering on an unfortunate people. If credit is to be bestowed on individuals, then the lion's share of the credit for ending the Cold War must go to Mikhail Gorbachev. The Polish Solidarity Movement and the Pope also deserve credit. And to a much lesser extent, Ronald Reagan, who observed Gorbachev's initiatives without aggressive interference. Thank you. President Reagan could have done a lot more. But the hawks in our government felt that what was going on in the Soviet Union was a ruse. They were finding some secret way to attack us. This is but one example of how we treat and conduct our foreign relations with other countries and color our history, thus enhancing our national delusion. But worse, this phony triumphalism stirs up our jingoistic emotions, and as a result, national hubris requires that our leaders always, always, assert the primacy of our national interest above other nations, even though many times that interest trumps morality. Granted, most nations have arrogant beliefs. The structure of nation states with superi without superior global authority and or without national leadership committed to maintaining an informed constituency mandates a culture of selfishness in those nation states. 
Okay, Mike Gravel. Mike Gravel, Out there, radio candidate for president, (laughs) 2008. What a great radio voice that man has. Yeah, yeah. And point by point, hitting Mm -hmm. everything that we have been saying over the past two years. Yeah. Except for all that occult stuff. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) But, yeah, so, you know... He may not have the millions of dollars that an Obama or a Hitlery may have. Hitlery. But he's got heart. He's got heart and he's got truth on his side. Yes. Um, because you know, as as much frenzy as as there is that surrounds these higher level candidates like Obama, like Hillary, like John Edwards. I mean, this guy. None of them are talking about. No, they're all sort of they're all buying into the propaganda storm yeah. of the war on terror. The yeah, ooh. one of the things that in the, in the clip we just heard that he talked about was this whole idea of the a culture of militarism, which in, is somehow necessary in order for uh, for these corporations to really you know do what they want to do. And wasn't that what Martin Luther King was talking about? Yeah. Uh, Racism, militarism, economic exploitation. Mm-hmm. So it's like the same message. It keeps coming yeah. back over and over but again. But it has never taken hold. The message has never really taken hold. No. And, and I think that, personally, I think that now is the time for it to take hold before it's way too late. I agree. You know, I agree. And I, I think this guy standing up in these for election, even when he knows he probably doesn't have much of a chance. Yeah, we all know he probably is not going to win. But he's there on the debate floor. He's there in front of the mainstream news media saying telling it like it really is and i don't mean that in a way like oh he's a straight shooter like john mccain no but he's no. a straight shooter like that movie bullworth yeah if you've ever seen that yeah, with yeah. warren Beatty. okay it's like that right yeah. right and we've got it actually this next clip is maybe more obviously like that hardcore yeah do we want to uh, say anything else before we play that no, one this, this, this is uh this is um the former senator at the recent democratic debates this I is think in this south on, carolina yeah on the tw- 26th I think. yeah yeah this is great this is great listen to this former alaska senator mike gravel senator thank you and senator gravel for those who may not be familiar with your past two terms u.s senate from alaska you played a role in the fight to cut off money for the vietnam war what would be your advice senator for the elected officials on this stage who are at a conflict opposed to the conflict but also feel the need to uh, keep on funding the conflict well first off understand that this war was lost the day that George Bush invaded Iraq on a fraudulent basis. Understand that. Now, with respect to what's going on in the Congress, I'm, I'm really embarrassed. So we passed, and the media is in a frenzy right today with what has been passed. What has been passed? George Bush communicated over a year ago that he would not get out of Iraq until he left office. Do we not believe him? We need to find another way. That's where I, I really would like to sit down with Pelosi and with Reid. And, and I would hope the other senators would focus on how do you get out? You pass a law, not a resolution, a law making it a felony to stay there. And I'll give you the text of it. And if, you, if you're worried about filibuster, here's what you do tactically. They can pass it in the House. We've got the votes there. In the Senate, let them filibuster it. And let Reed call up every, at 12 o'clock every day to have a cloture vote and let the American people see clearly who's keeping the war going and who's not. And that's just the beginning of the tactic if they're tough enough to do it. Senator Gravel, 
At a forum earlier this year, I want to get this right, you said it doesn't matter whether you are elected president or not, so then why are you here tonight? Shouldn't debates be for candidates who are in the race to win the race? Ryan, you're right, I made that statement, but that's before I had a chance to stand with them a couple, three times. It's like going into the Senate. You know, the first time you get there, you're all excited, my God, how did I ever get here? Then about six months later, you say, how the hell did the rest of them get here? Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, after standing up with them, some of these people frighten me. They frighten me. When, when you have mainline candidates that turn around and say that there's nothing off the table with respect to Iran, that's code for using nukes, nuclear devices. I got to tell you, I'm president of the United States. There will be no preemptive wars with nuclear devices. To my mind, it's immoral, and it's been immoral for the last 50 years as part of American foreign policy. Let's use a little moderator discretion here. Senator Gravel, that's a weighty charge. Who on this stage exactly tonight uh, uh, worries you uh, so much? Well, I would say the top-tier ones. The top tier ones. They made statements. Oh, Joe, I'll include you too. You have a certain arrogance. You want to you tell the Iraqis how to run their country. I got to tell you, we should just play get out. Just play get out. It's their country. They're asking us to leave, and we insist on staying there. And why not get out? What harm is it going to do? Oh, the, you hear the statement, well, my God, the soldiers will have died in vain. The entire deaths of Vietnam died in vain. And they're dying in vain right this very second. You know what's worse than a soldier dying in vain? is more soldiers dying in vain. That's what's worse. Short answer question. One sentence, and uh, I'm going to ask each of you, beginning with Senator Gravel. This is from Paula in Conway, South Carolina. What is the most significant political or professional mistake you have made in the past four years? And what, if anything, did you learn from this mistake which makes you a better candidate? And, Make the sentence no longer than 20 seconds, okay? Senator Gravel. I've just grown up. I'm the senior statesman on here, and I was beginning to feel like a potted plant standing over here. But uh, let me point out to you, in one sentence, you know, I won't hold their youth and inexperience against them. Thank you, sir. Representative. Uh, same question. Uh, other than Iraq, uh, three most uh, important enemies to the United States. We have no important enemies. What we need to do is to begin to deal with the rest of the world as equals, and we don't do that. We spend more as a nation on defense than all the rest of the world put together. Who are we afraid of? Who are you afraid of, but, Brian? I'm not, and Iraq has never been a threat to us. We invaded them. I mean, it, it is unbelievable. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, lock, stock, and barrel, but they control our culture. Well, uh, your two terms in the Senate representing Alaska have sat on top of, of course, a huge reserve of oil. Uh, with the French system as the model, is the United States, in your view, woefully behind in its use of nuclear energy? No, not at all. I think there had to be a maturation process, and I'm the one that started the nuclear critique in this country. I'm also the one that denied the boots on the ground for George Bush today when I filibustered the end of the draft. I'm also the one that brought about the Alaska pipeline by one vote in the Congress. So when you ask about the energy issues or the other issues, let me just tell you, I want to answer the question on the war and, and on what's going on. We are mischaracterizing terrorism. Terrorism has been with civilization from the beginning and it will be there till the end. 
we're going to be as successful fighting terrorism as we are fighting drugs with, with a war. It doesn't work. What you have to do is to begin to change the whole foreign policy. The Republicans who are charging Democrats about, about not going for the defense of this country, my God, this invasion brought about more terrorists. Osama bin Laden must have been rolling in his blankets Senator, how happy he was over our invading Iraq. Time is Senator Gravel. Uh, 30 seconds, please. No, with respect to Iran, we, we've sanctioned them for 26 years. We scared the bejesus out of them when the president says they're, they're evil. Well, you know something? These things don't work. They don't work. We need to recognize them. And you know something? Who is the greatest violator of the non-proliferation treaty? The United States of America. We signed a pledge that we would begin to disarm, and we're not doing it. We're expanding our nukes. Who the hell are we going to nuke? Senator, Tell me, Barack, who, who, Barack who's, I'm not who are you to wanting nuke to nuke? Any, I'm not planning to nuke anybody right now, Mike. I Good. promise you. Good. We're safe there for uh, a while. Sen uh, senators both, thank you. Uh, Okay, we're back. Mike Gravel at the Democratic Debates. That was a clip we found on YouTube. Some nice YouTuber, I guess, put a bunch of video from that debate and got all the Gravel clips and put them together. I don't know where to start with how much I like this guy. Right. I he know. He hit everything. I know. It's, it's Nuclear sneak attack on Iran. How bad the drug war is. Yeah. The military-industrial complex. No other Democratic, no other candidate, Democratic or Republican, will talk like we'll, that. We'll touch the drug war, for instance. Yeah. Which I am, of course, adamantly against the war on drugs because it's a war on the American people. And no Democratic candidate will, will touch that. This guy says the war on terrorism is a lot like the drug war. It's unwinnable and it's something that we just kind of have to figure out as a society how to deal with. we got to get out. There's no military solution to this problem. Right. Man, I, uh, I just I wish he was younger. Yeah, if even 10 years younger. If he were 67 instead of 77. I mean, I'm I'm going to vote for him in the primaries. Hell yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. Uh, even I'm if, not even sending this guy 10 bucks. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I've never done that before. So, <laughs> well, now's the time, right? But Raymond. he's definitely the out there candidate. Yeah. He's definitely the out yeah, there yeah, candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, well, at least somebody's still speaking up. Right. Schmedley Butler, Dwight Eisenhower, and Mike Gravel. Yep. We have to... We'll dedicate this episode of Out There Radio to all three of them. Yeah, all three of them absolutely. served in our military and realized what a load of crap the <laughs> whole thing yep. really can be yep. when you've got corporations telling you where to go, who to fight, and who to kill. Mm -hmm. So, well, Joe, I think that's going to about wrap it up for okay. us tonight on Out There Radio. we got our usual battery of announcements. If you like our show, send us an email at outthereradio at gmail.com. Right, or check out our website at www.outthereradio.net. There's forums, bonus materials, all our past episodes, bibliographies, show bios, everything. Yep. everything. Also, if you're on MySpace, add us as your friend, www.myspace.com slash outthereradio. Right, or you can send me an a instant message if you want to chat with me on AOL Instant Messenger. Our screen name is out. Their radio. We'd like to thank all of our radio affiliates mm -hmm. at different college and non-commercial stations um, throughout this wonderful country of ours, even though it has apparently been besieged by military contractors, um, as well as um, all of our friends out on the internet and all the ships at sea. And also keep in mind, we are looking for clips for our clips show. That's so right. put so, something together and send it to us. We'd love right. to hear what you come up with. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us tonight. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. Thanks for listening.
You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.